All right. Well, good to be with you all, and I uh, hope you are enjoying the new year as we have started. You know, last week I was scheduled in to preach, and I had most of my sermon ready to go, and then I got this uh, flu virus, whatever it was, and just knocked me out. And I uh, just want to thank you for your prayers, and uh, I feel it much better. You know, my wife had it, and she had it for about three days, but she was like functioning. She was going to the store and market and, and all of this. And then I got it and I was like, I'm dying, you know, and she was like, you're so weak. And I was like, I must've got something way stronger than you, honey. Um, because, and, and then um, we came to the conclusion, yeah, no, you know what? She is definitely stronger and the man flu myth is not a myth, right? And, uh, but uh, um, spent most of my time lying around, taking medicine, watched the whole Godfather trilogy on Netflix. And that is like nine hours of Italian mafia, revenge after revenge and fighting and the Corleones and Michael Corleone and um, a story that pans through decades and decades of revenge. And while I'm in the back of my mind preparing for this week's sermon on humility and meekness and I'm watching this and, uh, you know, it, it... it never ends, right? That story never ends. And whether you are, uh, you've watched it and you enjoy it, and I, I, I love watching um, that, and I've watched it over and over. But that story never ends, and they could really come up with another part in the next generation, and the next generation of revenge, of getting back. And there is something in our human uh, flesh that is attracted to this idea of getting back at someone, right? Getting back at them. Karma. Even though we don't believe in karma, we'd like to hopefully believe it happens to someone when they deserve it or not. Um, And yet we come to a a passage today and our resolutions in this new year, the thought that we have for us is one of putting on humility and meekness. And we're going to focus on those two today. And those are not the most popular of thoughts, this idea of humility and meekness. And in our day and in culture today, what we often focus on, the person who gets the attention, gets the fame, gets the money, gets the positions, are those who are very aggressive and very out there. And, you know, we start to believe that maybe this is the norm. Maybe this is the value of the day. And if I'm going to get ahead in this country, I need to get out there and I need to get noticed. But that is very counter-cultural to what we believe as Christians, the value of humility. Put on humility, Paul tells us in this passage that we read. Put it on. Make it what is visible. Make it your identity. Hide behind this shirt or coat of humility and meekness. And so I want us to focus on those two today. You know, just a little background here. In verse 11, which we didn't read, there's a list of all these different people groups. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave-free, but Christ is all and in all. So there is this description of all these people coming together, and in Christ they are now all in all the same. Uh, This isn't a random listing of people. I just want to highlight a little bit from this list. The Jew would look down on the Greek, and they would call them the Gentiles or the non-Jews. 
And they would say, boy, they are not the people of God. They are not like us. We live in a distinct way that is acceptable to God and so on and so forth. And so there was this understanding that the Jews were better than the Greeks, but then the Greeks, with Alexander the Great and the expansion of the Greek language and culture and the philosophy that was now in the land, thought, well, we are the modern people. We are the educated people. They are the old school. They are the non-educated people. So they would look down on the Jews. And the Greeks would also look down on the barbarians. The barbarians is the word barbarian comes from their word. They would describe how those who couldn't speak Greek sounded. So if you couldn't speak Greek, you sounded to them like you were saying bar, 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 bar. So they were calling them barbarians from that. And so they looked at them as these simple people. They can't even speak or read Greek. They don't understand uh, the philosophies that are so important. And out of the barbarians, the worst were the Scythians. They were not only just uneducated and unable to read and so on. The Scythians were the people who had no value in society. They, they were kind of, they were nomadic. So they would go and they would just eat as they needed to. They would all, it's like almost like living paycheck to paycheck, I guess, if we could say today. But they didn't build cities. They didn't have a harvest. They didn't have farms. They didn't prepare. They would just show up. And there would be the last group of people you want showing up to your town because they were going to now eat everything and just show up and not contribute. And so for the Greeks, they looked down upon the barbarians and especially the Scythians. And it's in the middle of that, those people are now coming together in faith in Christ, and they are becoming now the church. Can you imagine the difficulty, the old ways of thinking that were brought in? Well, you know, look at those barbarians. Don't let our kids play with those Scythians, you know. You can't go to their house and, you, you know, oh, I'm from a Jewish background and we are the purest background and I could trace my lineage back and you have no lineage that's worthwhile. And there, you could imagine the camps that are happening and Paul tells us, Christ is all and in all. It is above your identity. Slave or free or not, you are in all. And so in the middle of that, you would imagine what was needed was humility. In this text that we read, this word humility that is mentioned here. The word is a, a compound of two words. It means humble in the mind. Humble-minded. Right? Uh, it's to be humble in the way a person thinks. So you remember last week we talked about this compassion. The ESV says compassionate hearts. It literally was in the bowels. It was in the depths of a human being. In the depths of that person, there would be compassion. But here he says humility starts in the mind. Have a humility of mind. What do you believe about yourself? What do you think about yourself? Be humble in this way. And so we are called to start thinking in a sober manner about ourselves. Um, someone, I read an article and someone was saying that um, the humble person doesn't sit and think of, oh man, I have instances of humility in their life. Humility is such a slippery slope. But the real humble person doesn't sit there and think, boy, I was so humble today. But they 
what comes to a humble person's mind is the instances of pride. I was so prideful today. I was so arrogant today. And so we have to ask ourselves, and by really, even though it is so, uh, such a slippery slope, we have to ask ourselves, honestly, what do we struggle with? What do we really think about ourselves? Do I really think I am better than someone else because of where I live and what I did or where I went to school or what I'm doing now? And how do I view others, especially in this day and age, as Christians? You know, it is in Philippians 2, 4, and 5. It says this, Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves. Again, that thought is reiterated. Have that mind among yourselves. So we can act out, um, and we could fake our humility. We could fake our godliness in our words, in our, in our actions, and what's visible. But what is in our minds? And God knows what's in our minds. And he's saying, what do you really believe about yourself and other people? And how important it is to be humble. You know, uh, there was an article written by Dr. Robert Roberts. I kind of wonder about his name. Like, why did his parents name him Robert Roberts? But anyways, uh, uh, that's a whole other discussion. But he writes about what he calls the vices of pride. He had written this article on pride and humility. How pride is seen. How pride is lived out. And he writes about these four vices. And I wanted to list them out. I think it is important for us to um, uh, think about this. The pride of empty self-display. He's saying it's vanity, pretentiousness, wanting to be noticed, wanting people to notice me, wanting to be the guy, the gal, wanting to show how cute I am, how good-looking I am. This uh, self-display, the pride, secondly, of distorted agency, this idea of examples of selfish ambition, domination, hyper-autonomy, you know, um, at work, I will only get along if I can control this person, and so on and so forth. Or the person that is hyper-autonomous, you know, I am, I am all-knowing, I can do all things, I don't need anyone, I don't need you to pray for me, I don't need to share about my life, I have the answers to everything. The pride, thirdly, of corrupt entitlement, I deserve something. Um, I deserve special treatment. I deserve some kind of recognition. Fourthly, the pride of invidious uh, comparison. We do this often. Uh, we compare ourselves to others and they make us sometimes feel bad. Boy, their life is so good. Their lifestyle is so lavish. But at other times, we compare ourselves to someone else and we say, boy, my life is so good. Look at them. You know, my lifestyle is much more pleasurable than theirs. Uh, my kids are doing better than theirs. You know, my job is better than theirs. And when we compare ourselves, it could lead to this kind of pride. And he says at the end of his uh, article, Dr. Roberts says this, just as pride is the essential vice, its opposite, humility, is the essential virtue. It is the foundation of a beautiful character, the cog that holds all the gears together, the hub that connects the spokes and offers stability to the wheel. Humility is the starting point for returning things to their proper places. Humility holds it together. How important it is for us to get grounded, to come to gatherings like this, to come to church and be reminded because it is such a doggy dog world out there. It is such a competitive world out there. And how important it is just to have a moment to listen 
and to be reminded of this, the importance of humility, the humility of mind. So humility starts in the mind, and that's our little blank there on the fill-in form. Um, meekness is humility lived out. So if humility is what is going on in our minds, meekness is it being displayed or lived out. And so he calls us to put on meekness. The English word meekness has kind of a, a connotation of lacking courage, not having courage, not being brave. But that's not what it's saying here. Meekness is the idea of power under control. The classical Greek writers would use that word to describe a big animal that is tamed. If you've ever ridden a horse, you know, and how well tamed it is. And how easily that horse can kick you off and, you know, and hurt whoever it is. But yet, it is under control. And that is the picture of meekness. That when I have the ability to let them have it, to say what's on my mind, I can now control it. Jonathan Edwards says that all Christians, he says, all who are truly godly and are real disciples of Christ have a gentle spirit in them. We can misunderstand this to mean um, a personality trait. Sometimes we think of, oh, he's so gentle or meek, and we think of it as a, uh, a cultural thing. Oh, those people that live in that part of the world are so gentle and kind. But no, that is not what it's talking about here. It is our spiritual disposition on how we live. Um, Numbers 12, 9 describes Moses in this way. Moses is described... And he says, Moses was a very meek, was very meek, more than all men that were on the face of the earth. He was very meek. But yet Moses in his early years had killed an Egyptian. Moses was a, a, a murderer. And so what we're talking about here is not just a, a personality trait, uh, not just a cultural trait that he had. But there was a change that happened where his power was now under control. Uh, you know, as we celebrate the Martin Luther King Jr. Day, uh, you think about the, the, the meekness he practiced, right? And I think about that. It's so hard. It is far easier for us to say, I'm going to fight and I'm going to go and fight these guys and I'm going to get guns and we're going to fight. And there were a lot of militant groups that were against him. But to fight in a peaceful manner, to, to turn the other cheek, and to continue to protest in the midst of this injustice, that, that takes far more strength. And one of the uh, stories about Martin Luther King that I wanted to share with us, you know, he's, he changed the world through his speeches, and we've heard it and seen it. But there was an instance where he was, um, he would get phone calls, anonymous phone calls all the times with names and threats and when I'm going to kill you, and people would hang up. And it would, it would be nonstop. But there was one particular anonymous caller who would call regularly to the point that Martin Luther King recognized his voice. And at one point, when this guy called to threaten and give him, call him names again, he said, well, let me talk to you for a moment. And in an interview in, on Liberation Magazine, Martin Luther King describes this interaction, and he spends 30 minutes, half an hour, talking with him. The guy that had called countless hundreds of times to call him names and threatened to kill him. And he says, let me talk to you. And he talks to him for over 30 minutes. And at the end of the phone conversation, 
The man on the other line said to him, Reverend King, I have enjoyed talking with you, and I am beginning to think that you might be right. The power of meekness. Because my human side, and most of us today would say, boy, if he kept calling my house, and this is before caller ID and before we know who it is and we can block him, we don't know who's on the other phone, and I could recognize his voice, what would I say to that person? But to win them over calmly in a persistent manner and to see this happen, I mean, what a wonderful display of meekness. And he's changed the history of our country. So when and what uh, uh, context can we practice meekness? And there's a few I want to share with you today. I want to be as practical as possible. Uh, we see a few in the scriptures First, when we are correcting someone, when they are wrong, when they made mistakes, right? Moms and dads in here, one of your tasks is to correct your children when they make mistakes, right? Wives, do that to your husbands, right? When they make mistakes and vice versa. But when we have the opportunity to correct someone, we ought to do it with gentleness or meekness, you know? And in Galatians 6, 1, it says, if anyone, brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Restore him in a spirit of gentleness. What he's saying is, it is easy to now bang him over the head. You stupid, I told you. What's wrong with you? You ever get those questions when you were growing up from your mom or dad, and you do something dumb, you know you did something dumb, and then they start asking you questions, you don't know what, how to answer, like, what is wrong with you? You know, what were you thinking? And you're just like, please stop asking these impossible questions. How do you answer those? But to restore them with gentleness. The second part is when you are sharing the gospel to the world. You know, in 1 Peter 3.15 that we know so well in this, in this defense of your faith. Uh, in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always be Prepare to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that you have that is in you. Be ready to defend. Be ready to argue. Be ready to stick up for what you believe. Yet, do it with gentleness and respect. Do it with gentleness and respect. I remember I was getting a ride, an Uber ride back from the airport. I had my daughters in the back, and I'm riding back. And um, the guy, you know, was very talkative. He was from the Middle East somewhere, and he started talking to me, and then he asked me what I did, and um, usually that kind of opens up a whole other can of worms. I'm a pastor. I'm a Christian pastor. Whoa, right? And, um, and we are on the 105 going five miles an hour. I'm like, oh, get me home, right? And he was like, oh, religion. Oh, all religion is wrong. I am absolutely sure of that. And he was just saying stuff that was just, he was, uh, really was, um, uh, contradicting himself, you know, like, no one knows the truth. I mean, I mean, are you sure you just contradicted yourself? You know, who are you to say that? And, you know, nobody knows the truth. And, you know, it is arrogant for you to say you know the truth. And I was like, are you sure that's the truth? Yeah, that's the truth. And we're going on and on and on. And um, I was really tempted. There's one side of me, I just wanted to say, hey, listen to yourself. Just, you know, and he would... He was one of those, he was looking at me and the car's breaking. 
just get me home, you know, and having to deal with my, and I look back and my girls are both like eyes are wide open. They're kind of like, what, what's, what's going to happen? And I was just, and then he started sharing about his life and his mom and how she, you know, got hurt. Um, and when she was growing up and the, it, it, was, it was out of his pain and he was talking. An hour of that and I get home. And then it asked me, how do you rate your Uber driver? <laughs> Four stars, I can't do five, you know? Um, do you want to add a tip? No, right? Uh, but to share the gospel in a gentle manner. Because I was thinking, I might be the only pastor he's ever given a ride to. And if I yell back at him, and if I start making him feel and look dumb, what does that do for him? Um, and so when we share the gospel, thirdly is when we grow in wisdom, the wiser you get, the smarter you get, the older we get, we ought to grow in meekness. Not be more stubborn, not be uh, more difficult of a person, not be just set in my ways because, boy, I'm an older man. And I, no, we ought to be practicing more meekness. And the Bible describes growing in wisdom and the meekness that comes alongside of this in James 3.13. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. So as your wisdom is going up, as you are knowing God more and you are learning about life and you are hitting this next life stage and you are getting wiser than you were five, ten years ago, it ought to be displayed in your meekness, not in the arrogance, not in the I know everything attitude. We, as the followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, we want to put on now humility, put on meekness, and you know, Satan will come and approach you and knowing our weaknesses and we'll be prodding along trying to get a reaction and we want to react in meekness. Because the beauty of the gospel is simply that. Is that the beautiful one, Jesus Christ, he is everything. The gospel tells us he is everything. All that I have he has given to me. If he is my creator and savior, he is everything. The past, present, future, everything, everything is by his hand. Then I have nothing to boast about on myself. But I ought to now live humbly before him. And so this week, someone might cut you off and someone might test your weaknesses. And you might want to react like the Godfather, right? And you might want to get them back. Uh, but no, let me encourage you. Let me challenge us to take off all of the old ways of living and be countercultural today and put on humility, put on meekness and share the love of Christ and live out the love of Christ in this way. Could we do that together? Amen. Let's pray. Um, dear Lord Jesus Christ, the beauty that you show to us is in your humility in your meekness, your gentleness towards us. How intimidating it is to approach you as sinners who are guilty and yet to receive your grace. Um, teach us that, God. That is a, a power, a strength that we, um, that is foreign to us and we're still learning. God, would you teach us the 
the way of life, the humble way of life. As people who have faith in you, that you know all things, God, would you teach us to be humble in this way? And Lord Jesus Christ, as we look to you and we see the pictures of your gentleness, God, would you teach us how to live in that manner? At home, help us. At work, God, use us to display a faith um, that is filled with gentleness in this way. And to the world around us, God, help us to share the truth with love. Uh, God, we want to learn this humility from you. We cannot do it without you, Lord. So change our minds. Lord, help us to keep our ears and eyes open to you and be changed each day. We thank you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.